Happy New Year. It's the Jim Eskimen Podcast, the first podcast of 2015. I was offline there for a while. I hope you had a really nice Christmas, nice Hanukkah, nice Kwanzaa, a nice uh, Ramadan, Ramalama Ding Dong, whatever you had. I hope it was great. I had a wonderful time with family. Aren't we lucky, those of us that have nice families and people that we can get together with and actually tolerate? Isn't, isn't that marvelous? And then when you have friendships, too, with the people you love, man, that's a big, big plus. I'm very lucky. I'm a lucky guy. I've said it before. I will say it again and again. So here we are. We are smack dab in the thick of it. Not really in the thick of it. We're still kind of on the verge, aren't we, of 2015. It's the fifth today as I record this. And um, just today, just today, I felt like, okay, we're getting back to school now. I think a lot of kids were going back to school and I felt like I was going back. I had to do stuff that I, I probably wouldn't have done, you know, work stuff and auditioning again, did my first auditions. I don't know if you know this, but I, uh, as a voiceover guy, I get auditions sent to me, being this is the digital age, I get it sent to me on email, and I do probably anywhere between 8 and 25 auditions a week, just here at home, and then sometimes I have some out at the house, and if I have to audition for a TV show or a film or something like that, i got to leave the house. Haven't done a lot of recording of uh, video auditions at home yet. A little scared about that, uh, but that's that's the trend of the future. I'm sure is it's going to be getting the actor to be more and more proactive and handling more and more of the stuff that would normally cost somebody some money. I don't know what's going to happen to the poor casting people. Obviously, they're tough breed. The casting people, the ones that are there year after year, decade after decade. My hat is off to all casting people. It is a tough, tough job. It is very thankless, and uh, and they don't get residuals like actors do. So I really don't know how they do it. I really don't know how they get by. They just—it's a volume business. They're like the grocery store owners of of the showbiz world. They just make it go right, and they do a heck of a job too. When it, when a film is really well cast, I, I notice it. I definitely notice it. I go, wow, someone really put some thought into this, and they made it happen. Anyway, that's my tip of the hat to the casting directors of the world. You know, we all can think of casting experiences we've had that weren't that pleasant, where the casting director was obviously disenchanted with their life and uh, took it out on the, on the people in the room. And that's not so nice. But most of them, I, you know, I think are really professional. Otherwise, the whole industry would grind to a halt. And uh, I've met a lot of them that are really, really interested in doing what they do and, and who really get a kick out of it and really... Uh, view it as a creative activity. And that that's the key. I mean, even if you're a garbage man, which is, you know, the classic example, if you can treat it with creativity or you can somehow make your job into some sort of a game, uh, for want of a better word, then, uh, you know, then then that's the key to endurance and longevity and, and, and having a decent life. It's, you know, you could have the most sexy, amazing job in the world, like be a film director. And if you hated being a film director, then that would be a tyranny and, and you would be a miserable person to be around. So that's a good thing to look at in the beginning of the year. And I am looking at it too. Like, what do I really want to do? Here I am, 55 years old. What, what do I want to do when I grow up? Well, one thing I know is I don't want to grow up, to quote Peter Pan in that famous musical. And it reminds me of one of my first real serious heartbreaking upsets with the adult world was... After I saw a stage production of Peter Pan, and then I went home and tried to fly. Man, I was so upset after that. I really was peeved, P.O.'d. 
at Peter Pan and everybody that looked like him. I wouldn't talk to a guy in pajamas for years after that. I don't know. What do you think? What do children these days... I don't think we know. There's a huge experiment going on. I mean, you talk about my upset with Peter Pan. What about kids today who go and they watch a movie about a bunch of talking animals? And then they try to talk to their dog or they try to talk to a raccoon or an animal at the zoo. And, and they get snubbed. Because, you know, we don't really think about it too much, but the realism of CG and these fantastic uh, visual effects that can be done today... You know, I just watched a little bit of Guardians of the Galaxy again the other day, and it's just, I don't know, how, how could it look more realistic? I, I can't think of any way that it could. It's, it's if I guess if it was in 3D and then it licked you and the tongue came out of the screen and your cheek was moistened, that, I guess, would be an improvement on something. But what about a little kid? A little, I, you know, I've got some nieces and nephews. What's their, you know, if you really cornered them and said, so what about it? You know, can penguins talk? I think they would go, well, this one penguin I saw did, and it had a whole family, and they actually could drive cars and all this. You'd have a hard time convincing them otherwise, if you were to be so adventurous, as to get into a debate with them about it. But what is that, what's that going to be in the future? Is, is it like there's just a list of things which, like Santa Claus, have to be kind of debunked? And how annoying will that be to a typical little kid? Or are parents just supposed to, after a movie like that, say like reading the Miranda rights to a, to a kid after every movie. You have the right to, you know, believe in this or not, but frankly, you know, it's fake. I, I don't know. I, I, we never really oriented our daughter to that stuff. Uh, and indeed, the, the great CG age wasn't upon us until years later after Taylor was already pretty grown up. But I don't know. How do you feel about that? I, I imagine when it comes up, you have to deal with it. And if it doesn't come up, then you just sort of snub it. But maybe it never comes up because kids don't really think anything of it. They see talking animals, talking monsters all the time, talking, uh, I don't know, grapefruits, talking mailboxes, talking wrenches, hammers, and nails. Maybe it's just like, oh, yeah, well, sure. But then, you know, is that keeping them from experiencing the real world? Or do they realize it's art, it's fun, it's playful? I don't know. I guess you'd have to kind of really uh, talk to some kids. And it's a little bit of an experiment. We're going to see, you know, the next generation, what they go through about that. Because it is a, not a very trustworthy time as far as entertainment's concerned. Not trustworthy because it's so realistic. There's, there's no place where you can go, oh, I saw the string. Or, oh, you know, I see the man's hand there operating that, that doll or puppet. Can't see it. No strings, no nothing. No, nothing. So kids are kind of on their own. they got to figure it out. Is that good manners? I don't know. Is it a manners point? I don't know. What about manners? Do manners exist anymore? I think they do. I think they're very key. And, uh, in fact, uh, I have an expert here. Her name's Elizabeth Porterhouse. Hello. And she's a... Uh, thank you for being here. Well, it's my great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Now, there's a good example, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. of, of you uh, exhibiting, as you always do, really, really good manners. Thank you. And when I was a kid growing up, my mom, who was a working mother, you know, actress Marion Ross, who would, you know, she was a working single mom, raising two kids. Oh, my. Yeah, not easy. Um, She would sort of, you know, I think she was always at the end of her tether a little bit, and she would say, Don't put your fork on your napkin! You know, and and just lose her patience. Lose, yeah, fly off the handle and kind of. We were we were sort of instructed in manners as if, you know, at the end of a branding iron sometimes. Oh. So that was not so uh, not so pleasant. And, and I, indeed, I never really had it explained to me what manners truly are. And it's not just a list of, of, of rules and regulations. Exactly. But you, that's that's the emphasis of what your what your work is. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I go around and I, I'm a consultant to um, everything from huge corporate heads to uh, dignitaries to ambassadors, their families. And I travel all over the world and I, I sort of, you, you used the word debunk earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I do is I debunk people's wrong ideas about what manners are because they do. They mainly think that it's a, a series of rules that are too difficult to learn and that even if you learn them, you'll look like a fool if you try to put them into action because they're outdated, outmoded, or too prissy or too conservative or just not germane to what's going on when, in fact, manners are key to so much that we try to get done in the world, even if we're stevedores. <laughs> you mean the guys that haul... Uh... Stevedores, yes, the people that load the big... The big ships and have the big hooks and oh, the big muscly chaps. Aha! Uh-huh. And even they must have manners. Yes, yes, and not in a not in a, a prissy way at all, but in a very in a way that allows it. What manners are? Yeah, give us give us your definition. They are the social lubricant, if you will, that allow us to operate in good cooperation with one another. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you invite me to participate in your podcast, and you were very nice in your email. Was I? Yes, you were very complimentary. You said, Dear Ms. Porterhouse, I've enjoyed your reading your column, and uh, you're a great uh, representative of a topic that I'd like to address in my podcast. You gave me a link so I could hear your podcast and make a decision for myself whether I wanted to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And then you... Well, anyway, your tone was... Here's what you did that was right. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. Well, you did a lot of things that were right. You said to me... You made me feel important. And that is the essence of manners, making the other person feel important. Does that make sense? So that's the essence. So it's not necessarily... It's not necessarily a whole lot of rules about where, which pinky finger you raise or do you look to the left and the right before you compliment the hostess or anything like that. Oh. So now this is interesting because I have, I have, I do remember now you writing about this in, in your column and you said that if you uh, always use consideration with someone that, and, and that if you, if you actually go out of your way to make the other person, whether they're known to you or a stranger, make them feel like you notice them, first yes, of all. Yes, that's the simplest way. Or in any other way that you make them feel noticed and, and appreciated or, or just uh, make, make them feel like they exist, then, then that makes them, makes them feel makes important. Them feel important. Yes, important. Not like necessarily like, well, you're not Jesus Christ. You're not that important. You're not, you're not um, heaping undue praise on them. You're not saying, oh, you exalted one. I foul the air with my presence <laughs> around you. That's not so. You know, that's, yeah. that's extreme. But you can at least notice people and, uh, and consider them important. Well, that seems very practical. It is. It is very practical. For example, I worked with one of the St. Louis Rams. I won't say which one. And he hired me in the off-season uh, to work with him on manners. Uh-huh. And why was did was he having a kind of a manners meltdown or something like that? Yes, he did. And he got in a lot of trouble, frankly, at speaking events because he would use language that was not appropriate to, let's say, a, a gathering where there were a lot of young school-age children or or women. His language, his vocabulary was like a coal miner, which is it's perfectly fine if you're a coal miner. But if you're addressing a bunch of uh, Sunday school children, uh, you should you should consider them to be important. Uh-huh. 
Well, of course, and that makes sense. If you're using derogatory language, then you obviously are not noticing the people in front of you. And so I guess by default, you... You, don't, you must not notice them and you must not consider them important. And even though we don't think on this in a conscious level, that's what's going on underneath it. And that's why certain people rub us the wrong way sometimes, because we realize they're not listening, they don't see us, they don't care. And when that happens, that's bad manners. We don't like it. Nobody likes it. I see. Well, those uh, the St. Louis, the guy from the St. Louis Rams, he must have, it must have changed his life. It did, it did, it absolutely did, with his family, with the public. That mother was really affected. I mean, okay, you just, hmm? I'm. W- w- did you say mother? Yes, that mother was very changed. He was a changed man, and uh, he told me he said, you know what? My own mother never taught me about manners, and if I see that again, I'm going to hit her upside the head. Because what you've given to me is one... Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) I'm shocked. Hmm? What are you shocked about? Well, we're just talking about manners and we're talking about language and you dropped some bombs there. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, no, I know. That's good manners on my part because I respect you. I'm not going to insult you by using language that isn't appropriate. Look, you and I are having a conversation. You're not a 12-year-old girl. No. No. And and so you you don't have the delicate sensibilities of of some of these And so I can use any kind of language. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I mean, that's, well, I mean, it makes sense. You're you're being friendly and forthcoming. Elizabeth Porterhouse, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. And uh, visit her website, www.com. PimpMyManners.com Here's the impression, guys, update. There is no update. Uh, we still have a, a season to show you, and one day it'll be, come out. Right now it's uh, it's being um, sold to, or, or, or offered or something like that. I don't know. I'm not part of the sales team, so I don't know. And I look forward to hearing more. But I, the good news is that our director, writer-director and creator of the show, Ben Shelton, had another little baby. And uh, I haven't met her yet, but she came in at eight pounds, six ounces. And her name is Holly. And uh, the mom is doing great. And the family's awesome. So I can't wait to meet her. Congratulations to Ben Shelton. And now Leo, little three-year-old Leo, four, he has a little baby sister. And apparently he just can't stop hugging and kissing her. That's good manners. Hey, here's something for you. Hello and welcome to Barbershop Talk. I'm Cecil Dees. And I'm Ellington V. Monroe. And we're coming to you today uh, from the barbershop on 123rd in Amsterdam, chair number four. (laughs) We talk about all things having to do with 123rd Street in Amsterdam. And there ain't nothing going on below or above 123rd in Amsterdam, I'll tell you. That's right. We talk about current events, Mm -hmm. stories to be told. Things in the neighborhood, things that we see out the window, things that we hear over here when we're doing people, cutting people's hair. That's right. We hear the stories. We're swapping stories of good and bad, but mostly good. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's an example, Cecil. I don't know if you realize, but 
tax time just came around and passed. Oh, and, you I know, know it did. This is a traditional time of, you know, uh, quite a bit of, uh, of upset and concern among the community up here. And uh, I don't know if you know the widow Mumphrey, but she, you know, come come around and be asking me and some other people about, you know, how to do your taxes properly. And uh, she's all concerned uh-huh. about it. And I said, widow Mumphrey, you don't need to worry about no taxes because you don't make no money. That's right. That's one less problem to have. And we are all about having one less problem here on 123rd in Amsterdam. Once you tell people what a great weekend we had with the big get-together and the uh, Oh, I will. I will. And and so Just this past week, it's a little bit of news, a little bit of our tidbitty news. We had our monthly social. And Ellington, I must say, you were in fine, fine form. Well, I love to bring out my cream-colored suit and walk around and meet all the people and press the place. You know, I feel like I'm a, a man running for office, but of course I'm not. I'm just, you know, running around. Well, you are the unofficial mayor of 123rd Street in Amsterdam, and you mm-hmm. know you always will be. Well, thank you, you very much. You were grandfathered in, in it's fact. It's an honor. Because grandfather Ellington P. Monroe mm-hmm. was the first mayor of 123rd Street in God Amsterdam. God bless his soul. He's looking down on us from heaven. He certainly is. Well, now, Ellington, mm. I understand there was a little bit of concern having to do with your nephew and his car. You yeah. want to tell us about that? Yeah, my, my sister's uh, youngest son, who is 18, and he's a good boy, you know, but he uh, he wanted to get his, well, he's got his first automobile. Well, they paid for him by himself, by the way. That's very uh, good. From working at the gymnasium, working at the, you know, the, the health club and, mm-hmm. uh, down there in Manhattan. And he, uh, he bought himself a Honda Accord. And uh, he wanted to get it all tricked. It was a used Honda Accord. He wanted to get it all tricked out. And uh, new tires and some uh, fancy fins and a uh, spoiler. I don't know what all. And um, he wanted to get himself a fancy paint job. Well, I said, why don't you do it right here on 123rd Street? That's the proper thing to yes, do. Yes, indeed. And you go over to Monty's. Monty's got a garage, you know, just around the corner. And he's been there a long time. He's done just about everybody's car. But he said, no, no, no. Uh, he said, because want, what I want to do is I want to take it over to New Jersey. Uh, I got mm. the fellow over there, this oh. Italian fellow. Well, anyway, as you can imagine, it was a disaster. The I'm car sure it was. was. Not only an eyesore, but it set him back about $2,000. Oh, dear. So that's, oh. that story has an unhappy ending. I that think. story does have an unhappy you ending. See that, you see that automobile. You see that Honda Accord. You see the paint cracking on that, and you see the bad finish. And Well, you know, you're just going to remember where you heard about it right here. Right, mm-hmm. right. But maybe the happy ending... Ellington, maybe the happy ending to this story is that he learned his lesson. Maybe if he's paying attention with young people, they, they you don't know they sometimes don't pay attention. Pay attention. No, I know, no. I know that. Mm-hmm. Well, I have uh, one story to relate. I know, I know that you do know Mrs. Benjamin down in One B. Yes, indeed. Um, that's a basement apartment right in your building. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, she had a very bad allergic reaction to some of the smell coming off the floor polisher. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that that bad smell stirred up some of her voodoo juices, and she cast a spell, and guess what? What, now, what happened? What, what happened for that? Well, guess what? Mm. They're on. They're on, and they are not flickering, and I think it has to do with the aroma spun up by that floor polisher getting into the voodoo head of Mrs. B. Wow, so now you've got a revivified circular uh, fluorescent lights in the bottom of the basement there. That's right, and we can see everything nice and fine, mm. and uh, that's uh, that's good news, and I'm going to share that in the newsletter. Well, I hope that uh, people do subscribe to the newsletter, uh, to the uh, Barbershop Talk newsletter, and come to the monthly socials, and uh-huh. be sure and come by the Barbershop any old time. That's right. You're always welcome 
looking to come in and swap stories and mm -hmm. sit swap down. magazines too. Bring in a new magazine, you get to take out two old ones. Mm -hmm. Sit down and chair any chair you want, one through six, and we'll be ready to assist you. Well, I think that's all the time. We want to give a big mm -hmm. shout out to Simon Shapiro, who's uh, laid up in the hospital. Uh, he's got an enlarged prostate. We're thinking about you, Simon, and we hope you make it back to chair three real, real soon. Yes, we're sending out good wishes. That's all the time we have here on Barbershop Talk. I'm Cecil D. I'm Ellington V. Monroe. And until next week, keep the comb in the barberside. I participated in a documentary called The Second 50 uh, by a Canadian company, and I'm going to fly up to Vancouver to uh, be part of the premiere. I'll let you know how that goes. I haven't seen the film yet, but I was interviewed about, uh, well, what's it like to create your life uh, after the first 50 and, and into the second 50? What recommendations you had? I had a lot of recommendations. Always, I'm a big advocate for creativity. I think people have to create their lives, and there's so many ways to create from podcasts to paintings to organizing team sports to whatever, you know, you know, redoing your living room or becoming some kind of a wrestling phenomenon. There's so many ways to create your life. And so I was interviewed, and uh, we'll see this film. There's a lot of interesting people involved in it. So I'll go up to Vancouver next week for a few days and be part of that and then come back down again. There will be a Los Angeles premiere as well, and I'll let you know about that. So maybe if you're in the L.A. area, you can come. Uh, it should be interesting. I'm a great, uh, great believer that we need to get really, really super creative these days. And, you know, we have a culture that complain about it, as I do. It's still, there's a tremendous amount of creativity, especially, of course, you know, the younger people. But, heck, I know some people that are in their 50s that the ones that are still alive and vibrant and, and charging at life and maybe the ones who haven't made a screaming fortune uh, are making it go right and they're doing some amazing stuff these, these days and you can reach the world with it which is magnificent uh, I'm starting to get the itch to do some more drawing and painting and uh, I still intend to have a show this year 2015 I've got it now I know what I'm going to do I'm going to do these portraits mark my words and we'll have a portrait ex exhibition the likes of which nobody has ever seen it's going to be really peculiar anyway I've enjoyed talking to you I'm going to do these podcasts now every Sunday or Monday, whenever I can get around to it, uh, but uh, hopefully beginning of the week so you can have time to enjoy it, and I look forward to good news about the impression, guys, and I hope that you're having a great creative start of your year. Doesn't it feel good to kind of put everything aside from the old year and go, well, that is done, there's nothing I can do about that, I just got to forge ahead into the future, and that's what we're going to do, folks. I'll be there with you, so... Let me know uh, anything you want to hear about, anything you'd like me to talk about or investigate for you. Uh, let me know. Get the, let's have some feedback, and then I will be able to design this a little bit around your desires and, and needs and wants, and not just the uh, strange percolations of my own brain. Thanks to Jeff Levin for providing the music. Thanks to Tate Rupert, as always, for uh, improvising with me. And I'll talk to you all soon. Bye-bye.